You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. This is Rain Graves, and uh, you know what, how come I don't get quotes like this? Publishers <laughs> Weekly says about her, she's like a Bukowski meets Lovecraft. Uh, you know, that's what I want. I want people to make remarks <laughs> like that about me. <laughs> um, Jack Ketchum says, Rain, Rain Graves' poetry is by turns surreal and very grand and romantic as the tango and nasty, even downright gross as bugs crawling through your bed at night. Um, so, you know, that makes you want to read a lot of it. I know. <laughs> but but she, is, she, she is a Bram Stoker award-winning poet and writer. Um, and um, she also uh, wants us to know um, Rain Graves was adopted. It's clear from her poetry that this has affected her diversely and is widely assumed the reason for her psychosis. Many forensic psychiatrists concur in the rumor she is really a white male with an unfortunately high IQ prone to obsessive compulsion and sociopathic behavior. She has absolutely no empathy and is considered very dangerous. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief, she is not the Zodiac Killer as she, is, as she is in her early 30s and does not write into the local papers. She was last seen at a cigar bar in San Francisco, sitting quietly in the corner enjoying a Monte Cristo and a, martinis, and a martini, harvesting souls with her eyes. Uh, <laughs> Rain Graves. Thanks, guys. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Um, I've got about 15 to 20 minutes here, and I've decided to let you all in on a little secret that I'm working on um, with uh, Charlie Jacob, Marge Simon, and Linda Addison. And the book is finished. It's called Four Elements and obvious from the title. We each choose an element in nature to write about. And mine is more obvious to my name. <laughs> so um, these first few pieces are from that. The alligator god in the sea. The old man wasn't letting me in. He flung ripe, deadly man-o-war jellyfish from his gullet, waiting to cling to anything fleshy belonging to me. I ducked and swayed, their unfortunate circumstance littering the barren beach. Two mutants ten yards off began to poke them with sticks. I sent sand crabs toward them to burrow beneath their warm bodies, seek their soft foot flesh, digging, biting, eating, until they screamed. Leave my brothers alone, I said. The old man was stalling, foaming at the mouth. His whisper was a roar. His brewing storm would only strain his muscle, his reach. I came all the way from New York to see him through secret underground tunnels built from refuse aimed at him for dumping before they knew it was killing him. Go away, he rumbles, driving a tidal wave up into the sky, his arm raised in a fist. He crashes down upon me, meaning to wash me away. I am a myth, an embarrassment. I dig my deep burrows under the city and only come up to eat children. The sky is falling, I say. I am dying. You will dry up, evaporate. We are the things that never were and never will be again. Even now my scales are bleeding at the root, open sores on ancient skin. You are black with oil rot. 
The life you carry in your belly is rancid with disease. I will poison them all, my old man says. But we have already lost that fight. Look now, over there, down your Atlantic swell, I tell him. He churns and twists to see how the low charcoal clouds are. Every minute we watch, they erupt like an upside-down volcano, and a dead god falls into my old man's body. They sink swiftly, weighted down by prayers never answered. I don't understand, he says. What's happening? All the heroes are dead. I say, all the women who lit candles for loved ones, all the children who were innocent, everyone that mattered is gone. How? My old man asks. I killed them. I sawed at their flesh with my teeth until it ripped from their bones. I swallowed some whole and others I left in the streets because I was too full to finish. I suckled the brains of babes. They slipped from their skulls so easily and they were all delicious, old man. Now I'm going to kill you, I say, and wade into him, my claws singeing his meniscus-like acid, separating his molecules one at a time slowly with every ounce of hate the world had ever seen, atom by atom. Steam hissed. It was his scream. We will at least be free as amoebas, amino acids, I tell him. No one can ever hurt us again. No one will be left to believe, and there will be no painful resurrection or servitude for an ignorance that kills all myths, all things worth believing in. One dead soldier, one dead god at a time. Swamp Gathering Lots of kids been drowned down there, deep in that gnarled up place, running from things, beatings, slave catchers. I left my lace hanging like Spanish moss on a climbing tree for safekeeping. Got a breathing thing at my back named a Joe Jack LaRue. Got to get where the gold is. My mind told me where to get it. Said the price would be high. Them naked antiseptic reptile eyes got to chisel mine out. Ready with my pocket locket. Clasp undid for safekeeping and no losing them later. The others are watching. Sheen of sweat on darkly bruised arms, my badge of shame, like the color of the sludge I slip through, like the color of anger, the color I fight. She sucks at my feet, breathing bog, bacteria bats and long, thin slitherings, getting at my feet and I'm sinking knee-deep. Crocodilian she comes and I wait, smelling the sting of malaria. She always waits for me, like he does. She promised me teeth and tearing skin. I can smell that she smells clean. Everything sulfur earth, water dirt and cake and blood, hibiscus and witch hazel and moss. My mind holds my ankles and she rolls, rolls right into my murky green, looking to eat. Takes my hand off at the elbow. But I, I only take her eyes. Eyes make good poison. They can trap a soul in his own mind. Hell on earth tormented by watchers, dead and dreaming crocodilians, stalking silent in the swamp, looking hungry, always looking for you. The Leviathan Song Those prideful men who court me in wooden bowls, floating on the surface of my sea, my refuge. God does not spurn you or your children. He only spurns me and my mistress murdered. 
She was harvested from my embrace, scored through with a trident made of lightning, then beached, quartered, and salted through to be fed to you, O men whom he deemed righteous. Her black eyes glittered incandescence no more, and I remember them loving me in our underwater home. Now I am hunted for my skin to house you in canopy for his blessing in dwelling in succor. They hunt me for simple, simple charms of merit in your eyes. What of my children? He murdered as eggs in her belly. I cast you out, my maker, my demon, so soon my better. You will sicken under my sinew stench of skin when I, Lotan, am finally slain. And until then I will rise from the deep and take your wooden bowls full of righteous men to their deaths, to my belly, as he would have them do of me. Am I not righteous too? All of my seven heads, I think blindly with six and calmly clearly with the seventh, holding dear to the vision, vision of holy murder and my jagged teeth, destroying the women of your most prized men. I avenge my love, my mate, my mistress, and I wish I had never been born. I swim the millennia in mourning alone. I will burn them all. Nyarlathotep's Nile. He came up from the underworld out of the mouth of a dead girl's scream. Her lips withered and dried even as the steam still rose from her throat and a black stem of darkness still pinned open her shadowed eyes, those windows into the realms of Osiris. He folded himself into a dark mist, following that long, fertile ribbon so moist and loving and swollen like Hatepsut's belly had been the day she gave her daughter, the day he gave her a daughter through Senemut's eager thrusts. His seed slithered deep, selecting an egg, ripe and ready to be filled with destiny. In the cool travel of night, his soul singed the air with the stench of the black temple that lies beyond the gate of the silver key and as he grew closer to the valley of the kings the smell of the blood of the deep ones was sunken into the stones and sands of time it sung a, a single name neferora and those who slept slept uneasily as violent nightmares entered minds he wept for his queen and then his heir only briefly there was a task left undone and as the moon was high and pregnant he too was bursting with evil deeds Menacing a knife edge over the Third in his fever sleep, Nyarlathotep was then solid. His mist hand clenched around that beating heart and lifted the soul within it clean from the muscle. Walking as a man, silvery touched, hunting done, but far from satisfied. The hungry mouth of the Nile waited, mouths of the deep ones agape with needle teeth, sharp fins waiting patiently at the surface, bulbous eyes agape and golden, 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 as Egypt herself was ever golden but for them. In this way did they receive a silent sacrifice for his throne, the ka of a king who murdered the daughter of a god, and after their bellies were full, Nyarlathotep went melancholy home. I did time this. I might be a little short. But. This is from Barfader. I think it's available outside. Serial walk on a moonlit beach. 
Scent of gardenia water, some salty flower floating in foam, in jellyfish tentacles. My own black orchid refuses to be cold and clean, like the wormwood of New Orleans, like sorrow in the summer on a corner, like death in the winter by a fire. The lips of soft white petals seek dewy virgin hair, man o' war tentacles, gas, and she was greased with liquor, her hands seldom seen outside of gloves, outside everywhere, everywhere. Sticky. She smells like dark chocolate. Pillows of sweet bitterness mingle with clove oil, some kind of sugar poppy or pollen, ragweed heavy, heady and head aching from a non-empty cranium. I filled it full of sand when the thoughts were removed. Cold at night, northern, western, sandy beaches and baby oil rubbed down with blood beneath skin and veins, muscle, muscle tissue defecting nerves. The knife must make very careful choices, this way, that way. The sea swallows a hole, and it never was. She never was fire in the winter, never will be cold in the summer. She never was, never was. Bonfires make great pets to burn memories and other DNA, like the flames die, all hot tempers, like she and like me, each time, every time, creatures of habit and obsession and blood and metal and holes. Broken. The street punk cowboy kid had greasy gummed up hair and sat on a South of Market battered bar stool. Duct taped in black, boots scraping metal, and they were worn like him. Tenderloin scents marching to the weight of steel wheels, shopping carts on their way to hell. Metal cages holding valuable nothings, smelling salts for the living visibles, collected careful like people. I've seen things, he said, just things. Whiskey dragon, he breathed those words destructively so that all others would be awkward and want to ask what and when but not necessarily why. Fresh blood still wet on his jean jacket. It spoke a story. Time to pay up, the barkeep said, and the kid dug into his pocket, dark denim stained like India ink, contrasting with acid wash and cigarette yellow-green. His can came out like a fleshy claw, something grisly in it. He laid the organ down on the bar, perfect aorta, not so much clogged with age or drug or cholesterol. She was gold. And keep the change, he said. No one moved but the barkeep, going for something long and hard and underneath that wooden framework. Glass bottles gave mirror to eyes that didn't want to look but looked. Take it back, the barkeep said. But the kid said, it's mine to give and she gave it to me boots finding hardwood, and for a moment he blocked the light on his way out the door with that hole still somewhere in him, filled up with whiskey for better keeping and better sleeping. I don't want it anymore, echoed out past him into the stale air of the bar. I don't want her. Slick Eddie Dog 151. This is an actual person. Is he in this room? <laughs> I don't think so. You know, I haven't seen him since the red, ro uh, the red room closed. But uh, if you can picture that bar, it used to be down on um, Sutter uh, next to the Commodore 
and it was completely red. Slick Eddie Dog 151 says, whatever happened to writing phone numbers on matchbooks, he says. Gray hair on the side, a few loose wires on tip that, when excited, look to originate at the ears. Reminders, he says, they remind you where you met a girl. But, not, but now you don't meet them all that way or at all. And my matchbooks, they're all blank and bloody. Do you think they'll computerize them too, he says, like I catalog the blood stains and DNA? I like those, you know, those, those liquor bottles, the tiny ones, for sampling. Skin flaps like a matchbook, he says, and when I open them up, it's easier to see the fire, however dormant on the inside. Close the flap, and I tattoo my number on the outside, the old-fashioned way. And I think I'll just do one more, because people like this one. Um, it's called M.O., and it's from The Gossamer Eye, which is out of print, but you can still find copies here and there out there. I'm not really a waitress, said Pamela, with her best Pamela eyes. But she looked just like Joan Crawford, and this was Hollywood after all. Then what are you, said Tom, with his best producer-director eyes. But he looked more like an agent, and it was a Miami Vice suit after all. I'm a serial killer, said Pamela, with her most eager-to-please laugh. But it said, hire me, instead of I'm working already, and this was a greasy spoon after all. Show me then, said Tom, with his most skeptical, narrow-eyed grin. But it said, I do porn instead of snuff films already, and he was eating the chorizo scramble after all. Okay, but you'll have to come in back, said Pamela. And she was believable for a moment, but there was a doubt as he stood watching her skirt, and there was something long in her apron pocket after all. Sure, said Tom, and he thought she smelled like Mom. But it was more like Mommy Dearest already, and he was already feigning surprise when he saw the children being emptied into the meat grinder. <laughs> Rain Graves. I'm speaking with Rain Graves. Her latest book is Bar Fodder, poetry written in dark bars and questionable cafes. Thank you for joining me, Rain. Thank you for having me. Rain, you have a particular bent in your poetry, uh, which is a dark and beautiful at the same time. Talk about combining those two in language and how you get to the language you choose. Um, well, I think it all comes from, I mean, first you have to have a pretty sadistic and dark mind and a good sense of humor. And, um, you know, it comes from pretty much everyday things. Anything from like a child smashing a bug on the sidewalk can be beautiful to me. Um, and that's what I write about. Now, <laughs> talk about uh, just choosing the, the kind of words you choose and, and also the aspect of performance and reading aloud that goes into your writing because I think that's really an important part. Your, I think that your work is your persona up on stage reading your poetry. Uh, you know, it's, it's a practiced art. I don't think anybody can just get up and do spoken word um, as a performance, but certainly if you go out a lot and you see a lot of spoken word and you know some spoken word performers, you, you can adapt anything to it and make it interesting for an audience. And if you're writing the kind of stuff that I do and maybe trying to sell it to a travel agency audience, <laughs> that, that really does come in handy to get their attention and, and really bring them into the words, which I I feel is the most eloquent part of any piece of poetry um, 
and I aspire to that eloquence, uh, though I don't always achieve it. <laughs> Talk about um, creating poems uh, that tell stories, to find the story within such an abbreviated space of words. Um, well, if you've ever written a short short or read a short short, 500 words or 1,500 words, there's a lot of plot you have to pack in there. And in a poem, you can pack in less of a plot but still get your point across and make the reader feel. And that's what it's all about, feeling what you're reading. Now, talk about uh, the importance of fear just in our culture and the way you channel it through your kind of beautiful poetry that's also kind of scary, too. Well, in every culture there is fear, whether it's fear of demons, fear of a, a dominant regime, fear of losing one's own child. And every person alive has experienced that fear unless you're maybe a serial killer and have no feelings. So, um, you know, it really is just a prism of understanding from different points of view um, what writing is all about, and that's why people connect with it, I think. I've been speaking with Rain Graves. Her latest book is Bar Fodder. Thank you for joining me, Rain. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.